Welcome to Create Your Bliss with Nika Annan. Today we have the wonderful opportunity to talk to Destiny Allison. Destiny's had an amazing life. She was a, a professional and award-winning sculptor. She worked with large pieces of sculpture, which is not that common for anyone, much less women. Her work was collected by individuals, civic entities, and corporations worldwide. An injury required her to re-envision her life. She did what she always does. She applied her explosive creativity and dog-with-a-bone tenacity to new endeavors such as community-building efforts and developing an innovative business model that transformed a bankrupt shopping center into a thriving community and commercial center. She was named Santa Fe Businesswoman of the Year in 2011. She's also written four books now, Shaping Destiny, Two Novels, Pipe Dreams and Bitter Root, and The Romance Diet. So I'd like to invite Destiny to talk about what is this romance diet and how does it fit into the creative process of making your life? Uh, good question, and thank you so much for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah, I, I write predominantly memoir and nonfiction, and because... That, that that format gives me the opportunity to really examine things that that I can talk about and I can cry about, but but puts them under a microscope. It makes me really dissect my life and 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 shed all of the other fluff um, so that I can can re envision what I'm doing in my life. So for me, writing is as much a, a healing journey for myself as it is, I hope, for my readers. Um, but it is the, you know, my, my, my saying for, for years has always been your life is your greatest work of art. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and show your passion. And I think that every time I sit down in front of my keyboard to, to start the next writing journey, it's, it's, it's starting a blank canvas. I have no idea what's really going to show up on the page. I also have no idea about how what shows up is going to affect my life and move it in a different direction. So the, my creative process is very much hand-in-hand hand with the evolution of my life. Well, and it sounds like you have a real openness to living with what then happens, that you don't have a determination of this is who I'm going to be and this is... It, um, I'm editing what creatively comes from me to fit into that image, but that you are living from a very deep place within you and honoring what wants to be created through you. I don't know if that's an, a way you would describe it, but that we have uh, within us the seeds of what we are here to share. Oh, absolutely. My my daily mantra for years has been, you know, thank you for your gifts, talking to a spirit of whatever you want to call that spirit, and my hands are yours. I do feel like I uh, that, that words and... and you know, formerly sculpture, are channeled through me. I don't have a whole lot of control over them. Right, that it's, that it's stepping up and opening up and then having skill with which to present it. Well, and that, you know, that takes work. <laughs> it, takes, it takes learning. You know, I mean, one of the things that intimidates creatives so often is that the work they produce isn't that good, and, and they know that. Um, you know, but the reality is if you are committed to the work and you're doing the work every day, you know, you are going to make some work that is really good, and, and you're going to make other work that you can't stand, but somebody out there is going to love it completely. Um, you know, being creative is about setting up a discipline, whatever that discipline is for you, and sticking to it. So that, you know, you know, early in my sculpture career when I was working full-time and had, had kids, Saturdays were my day in the studio. That was it. It was inviolable. And by working every Saturday, I managed to put together a body of work, you know, that I was proud of. But uh, a lot of pieces got killed uh, before I presented that body of work to the world. It's not about, you know, doing something great. It is about the, the process of creativity itself. It's about figuring things out. And the more you do it, the more you have tactile memory in your hands or in your mind, word phrases, you know, and, and, and I used to dream at night with different images uh, in, of my sculptures and I'd be sliding down them and all kinds of crazy things. And, and now, you know, that I've switched media and writing, I have word phrases and, and, and terms that go in, on my head all the time. And it's, um, you know, how do, I, how do I say it? You're building a vocabulary, a creative vocabulary that you are um, 
you know, when you first start out, you've got the basics, like any two-year-old. Uh, as you develop your skill and your craft, you have a vocabulary that exceeds your own expectations, but you're always adding to it. You're always learning that new word, that new train of thought, that new trick, if you will, to, to hone something to, uh, uh, to make it closer to what you're after. And it's very much a process. It's not so, I mean, the results are important, but what I hear in that is the importance of the process and what all happens, what happens emotionally, physically, spiritually, when you're working in that way. The world disappears completely. Um, hours go by, it, it kind of blows your mind how fast it goes. I am completely engaged, immersed in the work. And I do a lot of, you know, I'll stop and break every so often just to, to walk around and to, to clear my head. But I do, I totally disappear into it. And it is about the process. You know, I've, I've told students over the years, you know, you're, the finished piece is product. And, and it's what hopefully pays for you to continue your process. Because the process, you know, art... Art is that thing that reveals the unspoken awareness. It's the, it expands your consciousness. It changes the way you view the world and yourself. And that's true both for the creator and the viewer or the reader or the listener after, the, after you finish. So your relationship to the work while you're making it is where you're discovering things you didn't know about yourself. Once it's finished, you put that baby out into the world and let it stand on its own two feet because now it's going to have its own relationships where it's going to inform your, your viewers, listeners, readers, uh, and and help them to understand themselves a little bit better while you're on to the next process. But if you're not engaged in process and you're only thinking about getting to that, that final piece and that's the goal, you're actually missing a point. Yeah. Yeah, and that you then, I think work becomes very repetitious as opposed to an exploration and the learning process. And I really feel that life is a learning process. How do we... How do we be here? How do we do it well? How do we keep finding the love and connection despite everything that happens? How do we choose that? Well, I think that we, you know, the goal in creative endeavor as well as in our lives, they're hand in hand, is to get to that authentic self, to live fully and purely and truly without all the fluff. So when you're, you know, you, you write a book and, and we've all been written, you know, by the time we hit our 20s, somebody else has, has penned a lot of different stories about who we are. And our job is to edit that down and to get rid of all of the things that aren't true to who we are and, mm -hmm. and to keep doing that, you know, because we, we face consistent change and different different points in our lives, we'll write another story and, and, and build another chapter in this book that we're building about ourselves or add something to our canvas. But we are always in the process of clearing away the mud, clearing away the heavy stuff, clearing away the stuff that doesn't make us feel light and clean and pure. And, and when we cease to edit that, when we cease to shed the layers that have been thrust upon us by experience or other people's expectations, we are aren't clear to ourselves and we're certainly not clear in relationship with others. And then it makes it hard to create ourselves, to create our work, to create how we want to be in the world. Right. And, and I think that that's one of the beauties of, of the creative process is that, you know, here we are and, and we've had whatever experiences we've had. And maybe we had a great relationship with our parents and maybe we didn't. And maybe we, you know, had something terrible happen to us at one point or twice or three times. Or maybe we had our lives, you know, when we made it through to past, you know, college and, and they were picture perfect. And we did everything exactly right. You know, and we, we got the grades and we went to a good school and we won the awards and we found the, the, the person that we wanted to spend our life with. And then all of a sudden, three years later, we're thinking, oh my God, what happened? Who am I? And I don't belong here. You know, when we start to express that to each other, you know, hopefully in, in real relationships or to ourselves through creative endeavor, we start to understand how, how we got to where we are and we start to be able to see a path towards changing it. Yeah. There's a beautiful book um, by Louis Malmadrona where he talks about um, how important the story we tell about ourselves is and how healing, changing our perspective in that story, if you tell the same, same story as a victim or as a champion or as a learner or as a spiritual warrior or, or however you want to change the story, how it moves people out of patterns in their lives. 
And I think one of the really powerful things you've done in the romance diet is you have started with what could be facilely called a midlife crisis. Our bodies age, suddenly we can't do something. We have, which is a major issue in our culture, weight gain, lack of physical strength, and suddenly we have to reevaluate everything. And the story that you tell about your process through this is so extraordinary because it goes back to that core of creativity and looking really deeply and making choices not that are imposed from the outside, but within the context of your life and with this wonderful loving partner that you were able to work with. I, I totally agree about the story um, and the stories that we tell each ourselves. And so many of those stories are imposed upon us, you know, and then we take them as our own. For me, you know, my, my physicality was really important. And, and the story I told myself to combat different things that happened in my life was I was an artist, right? I was powerful. I was strong. I was a welder, you know, how cool was that? And, and I built a successful art career. So this was an identity that protected me from all those little pieces of myself that had been wounded in the past. And it kept the world at bay. I could be safe as long as I could keep this identity. And that was the story I told myself. And, and then all of a sudden life happened as it does so often. And I'm upside down and all of a sudden I have to realize that, okay, that was just a mask or an armor that I donned to keep myself safe. It's not me. So who am I? And, and that question led to a whole lot of examination on multiple levels and finally ended up forcing me to deal with some trauma that I experienced early on and, and come out on the other side of that and reinvent myself not as the person who I was supposed to be, but the person that I wanted to be me personally, not the product of our society or or my mother or anybody else's expectations of who I should be. And I think that that's an incredibly hard thing to do for a lot of people. And simultaneously, I think most people manage to do it, muddle their way through it one way or another all the time. We, we lose a spouse. We lose a child. We graduate school and realize that there aren't any jobs. And we, we're constantly coming up against it the dashing of our expectations and constantly having to reevaluate ourselves in relationship to that. And we have a choice. We can either build the next armor, which will eventually get rusty or out of use or we'll outgrow it. Or we can, we can try to sit in the river, you know, and say, all right, if, if this is a life and, and there's going to be, you know, a dam here and there's going to be a flood there and there's going to be turbulence here, how do I float in that river? How do I stay true to myself? And, and let myself just be in this moment and part of this journey instead of trying to control it. And I think that, that our desire to control things really is the biggest thing that, that causes problems in our lives. It is. I think I, think I agree with you. And it's very interesting because um, I think that that's very fear-based. Um, the need to control, which is totally appropriate. Fear is the desire to survive, but it's also based, if you look below it, it's because we care and we're engaged and we want to be relevant and, and in that flow. And it's an interesting balance of accepting what is and saying yes to what comes and, and trusting ourselves. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I'm really looking at this hard right now and, and starting to make notes for the next book, and this will be part of the theme of the next book, but the reality is the only thing we control is what we give, what we give to ourselves, what we give to others, mm. what we give to this world. We have no control over anything else. We get to decide, you know, how important we are. We get to decide how important somebody else is or our jobs or anything, but we get so focused on what we need and what we can get that we give away our power. And, and because every time you say, all right, I need my husband to do this and he won't do this. Uh, well, all of a sudden you put all the power in his hand. If you say, I need that raise and my boss won't, all of a sudden you put all the power in her hand. And when we focus instead on what can I give? If I need a clean house, well, then damn it, clean the house. You know, uh, don't make it about expectations over somebody else. I can give that to myself. I can give that to my partner. I can give that to my job. I can give that to my artistic discipline or my creative discipline. I can only give 
that's the only thing I, that empowers me. Because when I'm focused on what I get, I give it up and the world controls me. And then I'm, then I'm tossed in a storm all the time. I'm not in the present moment. I'm constantly reacting to what life throws at me. And that's a terrible place to be. But it's a really easy perspective switch to say, ah, am I focused on what I'm getting? Am I focused on what I'm giving? And that, that really has done a lot for me. That's beautiful. And um, simple, which doesn't mean it's an easy practice, but it's a nice focus shift to say, oh, you know, this is going on for me. What am I giving here? Right. And it takes us out of insecurity and fear into action and power. Mm-hmm. Which is mobilizing and, and, and vitalizing. Right. You know, and then I look, I, you know, I listen to a lot of creatives who say, oh, I, I would love to do my art, but I'm just too busy. Or I'd love to do my art, but I don't have a space to do it. Or, you know, and, and we hear this all the time. And, um, and, and most people, you know, the reality is we're all creative. We all are. One of my favorite quotes out there, Howard Aikamoto um, is a, is a uh, professor at an art university in the Midwest, and he's an artist. Mm-hmm. And he, his daughter was seven years old, and she's old enough to ask him what he does for work. And he says, well, honey, I, I work at the college, and I, I teach people how to draw. And his daughter looks at him over the breakfast table and says, you mean they forget? And I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and that's beautiful. And we really are all creative. And, and we shut that part of ourselves down because of the myth associated with creativity. And because we have all this fear associated with it. Because when we actually start doing something that's good for us and good for the world around us, then we have to take responsibility for it and for the changes that happen as a result of that. But, you know, going back to the, you can only control what you give, if you have a desire to be creative, then, then, Make a time. I don't care if it's five minutes a day or 15 minutes a day or one day a week or one hour a week, but some portion of your life you schedule. And it's got to be attainable. It's got to be something you can actually do. I mean, if five minutes is all you've got every day to journal or to doodle or to, you know, whatever it is that you do, then give it that five minutes. And what happens when you start doing that, it's like planting a seed and you're watering it every day and you're tending it every day. And all of a sudden that five minutes turns into three hours and you're telling everybody else in your life, Hey, wait a second, I'm not done yet. You know? right, and it takes right. over. But as it does that, as you nurture that creative part of yourself, then that, that starts to make changes in every other aspect of your life because you start to value the things that matter to you. And so just doing that one small thing that gives to you, and it can be gardening, it can be swimming, it can be whatever it is that you truly love give it that disciplined time. And all of a sudden, the more you give to yourself, the more that that starts bleeding into other areas of your life. And all of a sudden you find yourself having empathy and compassion for other people and their fear and their worries and their frustrations. And, and you, cause you get it, you've been there, but you found kind of a way out of it. You, you've turned the key on, on your own life. And, um, and I think that's a really easy way to get started making major changes. You know, you, you, you just take that first teeny tiny attainable step. Like when I start writing, you know, before I've got, you know, and into a book, I will do, I set a goal for myself that says I will do 500 words a day. 500 words is basically one page, double spaced. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I know I can do that. I mean, I've done that forever. One page is super easy. It might not be any good, but I can do one page. And that's all I look for is I do one page and, and I don't evaluate it and I don't criticize myself. I just do the one page. And, and eventually I'm doing three, four, 5,000 words a day. And a month later, I've got a book and, and, and that works for me. It might not be for you, but, but it's that small, disciplined, attainable goal in whatever area of life you're looking to make change uh, or looking to, to get authentic or to, 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 you know, get rid of something. I mean, you just do the one small thing and it builds. It has to because it's coming from your soul. It's inside of you. You have created a very successful business, and I have a personal belief that I don't want to project on this, but that part of being successful in anything in life and creating a business, creating a team, creating a performance piece, all comes from that same place of deep engagement. Absolutely. And they also come from that, that place that you can only control what you give. You can't control whether or not a customer walks through your door. You can't control whether or not that customer is going to buy something. 
you can't control whether your staff is going to, you know, a member of your staff is going to have a fight with his girlfriend, go out and get drunk and get arrested. You can't control any of these things. You can only control what you give. And when you really focus on that, all right, how do I give to my staff so that they're loyal? How do I give to my customers so that I retain their loyalty? How do I enrich the lives of the people I serve? You know, then when I focus on that, all of a sudden, we see huge transformation. I mean, the reason I took Business Woman of the Year was because we did buy a bankrupt shopping center in the middle of the financial downturn, and that was insane. And the place had, was barely finished, and it had one tenant in it and about 20 spaces. The parking lot was bare, and we worked our butts off to get this thing off the ground. And we bought it in August, and we opened in December with 13 businesses and some other community spaces. And our grand opening was insane. We had like 2,500 people in shopping center grand opening that stayed all day. And the reason for it was because at that time, it was a brand new model. Nobody had thought of this before. But I said, first of all, business as usual is dead. You know, the race to the bottom is always zero. People have no sense of worth. Their opinions don't matter. Their numbers, their statistics, and they're being tracked everywhere. They're getting shouted out from every direction with advertising, and nothing feels good anymore. So how do we get past that? How do we break through this noise? And how do we make a difference in people's lives? And so we built this center on that concept, and we focused on three words. The first one was connection. How do we bring people together and build a community? Because where we were, there really wasn't a sense of community at that time, and there was a real need for that. The second one was convenience. Obviously, we're saving people a trip into town. That's a big deal. But the last one was how do we enrich the lives of the people that we serve? And so as, as landlords, we required every business who came into the center to do some kind of meaningful community to give back that was bigger than sticking a jar on the thing and saying this money goes to whatever cause or, you know, 10% Saturday. So it wasn't hokey, and it wasn't just money changing hands for some cause. It was, no, this is meaningful. This is totally relevant to your customers' lives. And the tenants that we brought in really believed in this philosophy, and, and or at least said they did. Some of them turned out they didn't quite so much. But the ones that really did have survived, and they have thrived. And they have customer loyalty that beats anything I've ever seen because people are deliberately voting with their dollars that they're going to support this store for this service. And that's that's huge. Um, and we've we've continued to apply that concept as we've opened additional businesses. And we don't do hardly any regular advertising. Instead, we invest our advertising budget in supporting local nonprofits and schools and whatnot. But we are constantly trying to find a way to give back to the community that supports us and to enrich their lives in a meaningful way. That, in turn, has built a community that is thriving, active, engaged. And really, I mean, it's just you know, to take a, a, a take really and pop it into a, a Norman Rockwell painting today, and that's kind of the community that we built. It's giving, it's wonderful, it is engaged, and I've never seen anything like it ever. But it does apply to business, and I think it applies to every aspect of your life. It's how do we be as big as we can, as generous as we can, as authentic as we can? How do we really make a difference in this world? Well, again, you can only control what you give. I think that's really beautiful uh, and also pay attention to actually what you are doing and I think that's why your experience as a sculptor in a way is very relevant because it also has to be manifested you know it is about how it shows up in the world as well right. and how you show up in the world but how that entity how the sculpture how the business then because all those have their own spirit how they are actually present here and they all have their own stories, you know, and right. and one of the, the, I think, the most challenging things to do for a lot of people, whether it's in business or in relationships, is to really look at what is the story I'm telling. You know, Brene Brown does a beautiful job of talking about that and, and how in conflict and relationship, rather than just saying, you made me feel like that, you know, you, you're in a fight or something, you, you instead say, this is the story I'm telling myself. That right. story that may or may not be true, but it's the story we tell ourselves. And when we actually admit that to ourselves, you know, then all of a sudden our insecurities and our vulnerabilities are revealed, where we get defensive is revealed, and we can say, okay, this is the way I'm feeling this is the story I'm telling because I'm worried, you know, she has a great example in one of her books, you know, that 
that she's in a bathing suit with her husband and, and all of a sudden really feeling like she she can't rock the bikini anymore. You know, she's in her 40s. And, and, and the story that she's telling herself about why her husband has not kissed her as deeply as she wanted is that he doesn't think she looks good enough anymore. Well, that's not his story. That's society's story. And that's the story that she's imposed upon herself, right? And by saying it in that way, this is the story I'm telling myself. I am a victim in this situation. This is, uh, or I am the hero in this situation. Or I don't look good in a bikini anymore. Those that give us the opportunity then to examine the story and to be editors in our own lives. Right. And to, and to separate even a factual observation from them than an implication. I don't look good in a bikini. I don't look the way I look in a bikini when I was 20. And therefore, my husband is not attracted to me anymore. And there's something wrong as opposed to, right. you know, this is the beauty of changing. And I look different than I used to look. Yeah, and so what's the new story? Mm-hmm. Wow, I rocked it this long. I'm still here. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I've had a few injuries, and, you know, let's flaunt the scars. Because <laughs> I'm here to show. You know, and, 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 and here we are having these conversations instead of, you know, being baffled in our youth about why we don't fit in and the world isn't working the way we're supposed to. And, you know, and that's, that's another thing that I would really talk a lot about is the supposed to. That's part of that story we tell ourselves. Right. You know, I was supposed to grow up, get married, go to college, ha- you know, have, have a career, retire. Well, that's not the narrative of our country anymore, but it's the narrative that's still being sold. And, you know, and so when we fail at any one of these things, we beat ourselves up. That, that muddies our water. We get more afraid. We try harder to control things, then things been even more out of control because we're, we're approaching it from, from the wrong perspective. We're, we're not saying, this is how I want to live my life. We're saying, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. And that's that coming back to that really deep, engaged authenticity. Yes, yes. And, and the process, I found it very interesting. I have always tried to really follow my heart and it's a very interesting process because there's times in your life where you look back and think what the hell was I doing (laughs) but in the moment it was like you the deep soul searching and saying okay what's the next step and taking it and then I have found you know 10 years after what was I doing think oh there's the pattern and of course I was questioning it at this point in the road when you're up on the precipice and thinking what (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, but that and there, some of, go ahead. That's what builds a life, right? I mean, that's, right. that is, we go off in all of these different directions and these tangents and, and we do try to follow our hearts. I think all of us try to do that to some degree. And then, you know, we get to a place saying where the hell we were thinking because something else has become more important and we, we detour in a different direction. But, but that is, a, that is exactly that your life is your greatest work of art and you are constantly adding richness and texture and and form and structure to this thing that's you and I think that that's amazing but I also think that it's really easy to beat ourselves up and say oh what the hell was I thinking and I never should have done that because it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to and Mm -hmm. um, and we certainly see relationships end and we certainly see jobs end and we certainly see financial worries and all the different pieces that make up a life and we had we not gone down that path, we wouldn't have had the next thing open. And I know that that's a terrible cliche, but as an artist, I mean, when I was one of the hardest things to teach students um, is where to cut. You know, where to get rid of the thing that's not working. We get so attached to something. We've invested so much in that one detail. It's a hand, it's a foot, it's a whatever it is, you know, or in our lives, that job or that person or that animal, or we get so attached that we are forgetting all the rest of the pieces that, are, that form the whole of us. And, and then we isolate that piece and it has no relationship to the whole. And then you step back for a second, you know, or somebody comes along and says, why'd you do that? You know, or I don't get it, or I don't want that, or I don't want, which you translate as I don't want you. And all of a sudden you're, you're questioning every aspect of who you are. And the, the reality is you got to step back and you got to say, okay, how does that one piece fit into the whole, the totality of my life? You know, how do I be a full and balanced person and not just this, this so focused and then so afraid or ashamed kind of person because it didn't go the way I wanted it to. It's just a piece of the canvas. It's just a part of the story. It's just a chord in a song. And it's just a part of the learning and the awareness. 
And if you don't take those chances and if you don't give fully to whatever comes up, you block the flow. I mean, I found yes. it with my heart and I thought, whoever I love, whatever I love, I should not repress that. I should just allow that love to flow. I don't have to act on it in certain ways, but not shut it down. No, you don't shut it. I don't think you can shut down love. I think you can squeeze it. I think you can repress it. I think you can rechannel it into places it doesn't belong. But I don't think you can you can close it off. Yeah. Well, I think you do at a very high price to your heart. You know, you disregard its its wisdom or its passion with right. Yeah. So it is. It's it's a challenge, but again, it's. It's small steps to get that stream flowing again. Yeah. Little simple act. And, and that's the other piece is love is an action, right? Yes. It's not a passive thing. It, it's an action. You actually have to do something about it. You can't just sit on the sidelines and say, oh, I love my whoever and I forgive my whoever because this love is flowing through me and stay stuck in that puddle. If you right. actually really truly allow that love to surface, well, first of all, you can't have that love be... The love for yourself has to be the most important. Yes. That's the love you have to nourish. Because when you're nourishing love for yourself, then it flows automatically to everybody else. But when you're flourishing, you're nourishing that love for yourself, and you're, then it gives you the ability to recognize if you're in a toxic relationship. And the reality is no relationship is, is a one-sided toxic. It's bad for everybody in it. Right. And you don't right. do yourself or anybody else any favors. You don't actually love in action by allowing something that's not working, that's blocking you and, and making you feel horrible to continue because it's not just about you. It's about that other person, that other job, that other relationship that you're having with whatever it is. And so you focus on loving yourself and then that gives you the strength, the courage to, to make the changes you need in out of love in other areas of your life. Yes. And I think loving ourselves also teaches us how to receive love. Also keep us from having to say it one more time. Also teaches us how to receive love. Oh, I think so too. Absolutely. And that's a really important point. Yeah. And I think that really helps with the patterns of self-judgment. Because you, if you take those inner voices and say them out loud and think, would I have somebody in my life who said this to me? Why is this a tape I allow myself to play to myself? Yeah. Why is... You know, and, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, talking about that receiving love, you know, for years, I every time my husband would tell me, you're beautiful, I'd, I'd find a way to tell him I wasn't. You know, I'd say, oh, no, I'm not. My hair's a mess, or oh, I, I feel fat today, or the outfit doesn't look good on me, or what, I'm grimy, dirty, or sweaty. or I, Every single time he said, you're beautiful, I said, some kind of excuse that denied him that compliment. And when I kind of went through this journey that I talk about in the romance diet and came through on the other side, I realized, or, or during this process, I realized, wait a second. First of all, every time I, I, I make an excuse for why I'm not beautiful, when he tells me that, I'm calling him a liar. Yeah. That means that I'm not trusting him to tell me the truth. And if I can't trust him to tell me the truth about how I look, what else can't I trust him about? And then I agree that, that creates this whole narrative and this story that has no basis in reality except for my inability to receive that compliment and receive his love. And so I started saying, just thank you, yeah. when he gave me a compliment. And the more I did that, the more I believed it. And, and all of a sudden, he wasn't a liar anymore. He was my loving husband paying me a compliment. He really does find me beautiful, and it really doesn't matter where I'm wearing. You know? And he would say, oh, it's, you know, your hair has nothing to do with beauty. And I would, would squirm and wiggle because, well, of course it does, right? I don't look like that magazine cover. And, and when I finally was able to hear him, and received the love that was giving me, he was telling me, you're beautiful because of who you are, because I'm in love with you. Mm -hmm. And your hair doesn't matter, and your makeup doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter whether you're dirty or stinky, you've been working in the garden. It doesn't matter. You are beautiful to me because it's your soul that's beautiful. It's your spark of life that's beautiful. It's the shine of your eyes that's beautiful. And, and you're physically attracted to me. Great. That's a whole different story. We tell ourselves when we allow ourselves to receive the love that we're given. Yeah. And how much that changes everything. 
Yeah. You know, and for him then to feel received, like to say that to you instead of being pushed away, to, to have you receive his love, to receive what he has to give is so empowering. Yeah, and the trust that it builds between us it allows us even, you know, greater intimacy. And so we're going down this road where we've been together for a really long time now and we're discovering things about each other that we've never felt comfortable enough to share because we are dealing with, with trust that is coming from that self-love place and that, that God of what, what can I do to give to you? And that's been transformational for us. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's such a powerful thing to do in relationship, and it's not something that's really, again, modeled in our culture about the give and take and how important it is to to give of our best and then to receive what others offer to us without either judging what we're giving or what we're receiving. You know, I, I think it's really interesting that you use the word give and take. And that was always my understanding of relationship. I think that that's most people's understanding of relationship. And the way that our culture defines that is you give some to get some, right? And, yeah. and so you're always dealing in a, a world of compromise. And, and I think that a truly authentic relationship and a truly loving, rewarding relationship is not about compromise. It's about finding the things that you love to do together and then giving each other the room, the things that you can't give to each other to do on their own. So it right. allows for people to give to themselves and give to the relationship and share stuff. But it's not a give and take. It is a giving always to yourself right. and to the person you're in relationship with. Yeah, and I guess I meant not give and take and not give to receive, but to when somebody offers you from their heart, to receive the gift to receive that. of the heart offering so that even if the particulars are not, the particulars aren't relevant, but to say, I accept that you offer from your heart. Thank you. I agree with that. You know, so that place of, I like, I see you and what you have to give, uh, I honor. You know, not that it's, then I'll give you something, or you, you know, not the whole give and take, but just that... Like breathing, you know, you breathe in and you breathe out. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah. And and seeing the sacred, seeing the in 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 everything. And so receiving on that level, not about tip for tat or you give me an apple and then I owe you and that not that whole thing, but just you know. Right. Like the sun. Go ahead. You know, no, go on. Oh, I just, and I think that it's so easy for that to get distorted when we are, you know, when our needs aren't getting met and, and our expectations aren't, you know, delivering and yes. we're up against this, you know, the supposed juice of the world and the happily ever afters. And, you know, I think we have to, to break down those myths um, in order to get to that place. But I think that that's really hard to do from your, from your mind. I think right. that, you know, life has a wonderful way of, of, of showing you a path to get to that place and then a lot of us tend to ignore it and so it, it, it reminds us a little more gently the next time and then it slams us over the head and says pay attention damn mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and um and that's when we start to get to those places and you know i look back at my life and in so many ways and thank god if i just listened that first time it would have been so much easier but i didn't and most of us don't and um you know but i think that that if we start to pay attention to those little whispers and act on them quickly, it's pretty easy to stay in that authentic place and not get, you know, sidetracked and then derailed because we weren't listening to our hearts to, to you know, what we know to be true for ourselves. Yes, I think that's very true. And that point of, of listening and honoring it and, you know, remember saying to the universe, okay, I've, I've done it the hard way. I promise I'll listen to you now. <laughs> I got it. I'm done being stubborn. I, yes. You tell me to turn left at this corner. I'm turning left. <laughs> You know, but then we, you know, then we look at that, and that's a great, great segue to, you know, talking about you know, fear. Is that we, I think that we are stubborn, you know, and and resistant to change because we're so afraid of, that it might not work or that it might work. Um, 
You know, I remember yes. the first time I was doing a show with my sculptor after I got him full time, and I I had a great weekend, and I made more money that weekend than than I'd ever seen altogether any one time in my life. And I called my husband, and we weren't we weren't married at the time; we were just beginning to date. And I I called him in tears. I was crying because I could not believe that I deserved this. You know, who was I? You know, I, I, I was very early on in my career, and and I really didn't think I deserved to be this financially successful. It was a really big deal for me to receive that validation from the world. And and I, I, so I think we get really afraid of, of success. I think we also get really afraid of failure, you know, or really afraid of, oh, God, what will I be without this? So on the flip side of that, you know, I, I was ready to walk away from my career as an artist about a year and a half before my injury, you know, really made it imperative that I did so. But how do you walk away from success? How do you walk away from accolade? How do you walk away from all of these things that we're supposed to really want in order to have the life that we need to have? And I didn't have the guts to do it. And I got lots of little tickles and nudges and, you know, fights with my gallery owners and, you know, and feeling like I wasn't being respected in the world. And there are all these different pieces that if I just admitted to myself what I knew to be true is I didn't want to be in this world anymore. I created another one up in a different tangent than, you know, the art world when you get to a certain level for many artists is you're just manufacturing. They just want the same step over and over again. So I felt like I, I, was, I wasn't creative at all, but I, it was impossible for me to walk away at that time. And then I have this injury that and this is the thing about the injury, which is really comical when I look at it in retrospect, is it's not an injury that I live with every day. The reality is all I had to do was stop doing the motion that created it, and I'm pain-free. That's it. So I, I'm pain-free now. I have occasional minor things when I bend over for too long, you know, mopping a floor or something. But I, I don't live with this excruciating pain that was destroying my life and causing me to cry out in the middle of the night and drug myself. I just had to stop, and so I did. Oh, you know, and and now I'm into this next phase of my life, and I'm loving it, and I'm excited, and I'm nervous, and you know, but I'm getting wonderful response. I'm getting lots of validation, and and in, in the way that I did when I started my sculpture career, because I, I listened. And I, um, but I think that that fear that we put on ourselves is again that need to control an outcome, and when we and our hearts calling us to do something. We're required to trust our heart and and not try to determine what the outcome is going to be. And I think that's hard for a lot of us. But again, that goes back to, all right, you can only control what you give. Uh, what do you give to yourself in this process? What do you give to your bank account every week to make sure that when you need to make a change in your life, you're able to do so? Um, you know, how do we how do we give to ourselves to allow for us, our, our ability to follow our hearts? No, indeed. And how do we let go of what no longer serves us when, you know, and, and sometimes we can do it easily and sometimes um, the world rests it from us, you know? <laughs> yes, it does. It just, it just takes it away. It's an amazing adventure to go through that and to and to not blame, then not to blame yourself and not to turn it into a story of my career was ruined, but to say it's time for a change. This is done. And it, and now and now what? And now but not now what like, ooh, now what? But wow, now what? Now where do I get to go? Or you know. You know, I think uh, for creatives especially uh, and people who are on this journey to, to try to live a more authentic, engaged life, that blame thing is one of the biggest obstacles we face because we know that we're supposed to be listening to something inside of ourselves. And, and when things go wrong, we're, the first thing we do is go back and say, well, what did I do wrong? You know, how, how come this didn't manifest in the way that I needed it to? I, I'll tell you a story that's mm -hmm. kind of going on right now. Uh, earlier this week, my truck was stolen, um, along with a trailer and a snowplow. And this wow. truck is my baby. I mean, it, this was the truck that when I decided to go full-time as an artist, I risked everything to buy this truck and make those monthly payments and feed my kids and pay the mortgage, et cetera. And that truck has 250,000 miles on it or something like that. It's been all over the country with me. That was my, you know, kick-ass woman truck. And, 
And we don't use it anymore. I mean, I, I, she's in semi-retirement. We use her at our shopping center to plow the parking lot and to, you know, haul stuff occasionally because she's old. And But she's out there every day, and, and that's my truck. And then all of a sudden, my truck is gone. And the first thing that entered my mind was, what did I do wrong to attract this kind of negative energy? <laughs> right, right. How could I control this? How can I make this my... Yeah. Right. You know, and what is that? That's a taking it on. That's right. trying to control something. And I have no control over this. And, you know, including the choice, I, I, I can recognize now, oh, I'm trying to blame myself so I can take control of this. So I don't feel so angry about it or so sad, um, you know, because and what the sadness is, is this is a loss, the last symbol of my career as an artist and my last identity thing, okay, I had to let that go, is what my mind is telling me, my heart is telling me, but I'm also saying, okay, but what did I do wrong? And and I have the ability now to, to seize that and to say, all right, I, I choose to give to myself by not taking on the blame I'm trying to assign myself, I can't control this, you know, let it go. But I, I do think that that's one of the downsides of, of a lot of, um, of how we approach getting to a spiritual place, getting to a fully engaged place. We because we're all we're constantly in the process of shedding and we know that there's energy out there that we create the energy in our lives and when I mean, we have all this stuff and, and the thousand and one memes on Facebook every day telling us, Well you should just do it like this. And right. and, it, right. and but the reality is, I think should 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 be banned from the English language. It right. is an absolute attack on our autonomy, and there is no one right way or wrong way to do things. You don't control everything. You we're here for a purpose. We are, and and sometimes that purpose is to make babies and raise them to be amazing people, and sometimes that pur- purpose is to shatter a glass ceiling, and everything in between. But we're here because we're, we're supposed to be, and our job in being here is to be as open as we can to discover that and to to act on that. And so we're constantly shedding all the things that we need to shed in order to get where we want to be. But that means that we blame ourselves way more than people who are not interested in in this conversation. And they're just happy to go to work every day and, and party on the weekends. And there's not as much to blame, I think, for a lot of people who are not engaged in, in this pursuit. And so to your listeners out there, Stop blaming yourselves if you can. It's okay. It's not your fault. No, I think that's really important. And and I guess I kind of hear a, a version of that story is that this is a part of yourself that you had set aside. And here's this truck that, if you look at the truck spirit, had had this wonderful, vital life. And maybe she didn't want to be retired. Maybe she went and found somebody who'd take her out and ride her again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we don't have all the story all the time. We can never see see the whole picture. You know, I think truth is a a matter of perspective, right? We can put a glass, you know, vase on the table between us, and you're looking at one side of the vase, and I'm looking at the other, and you see two flowers and a green stalk, and I see three flowers and some writing on the vase, and both of our perspectives are absolutely true. And and I can get up and walk to your side of the table and validate your perspective. But that doesn't mean that my perspective isn't also true. And exactly. and so we when we tell each ourselves our stories, we have to realize that again, that's one chord, that's one sentence, that's one chapter of the whole picture. And we're constantly evolving and our perspectives are constantly evolving as we move through this journey. So it doesn't make any one thing more or less true than another. It just means we're looking at it differently. Right. And that there's not a right way. Which means then there's not a wrong way. And we get out of that whole dichotomy, polarity, and instead it's like, okay, you know, what's the next step? How does this work? And what am I letting go of in my life? And sometimes the universe takes away things that we're holding on to that we need to let go of. Right. Yeah, we're, we're, I think, you know, we're in the river, and the river, <laughs> river mm-hmm. meanders, and it does its own thing. And sometimes it's rapid. <laughs> you know. And sometimes, you, you know, you bump up against the log that's floating there and it hurts. Mm-hmm. You know? But mm-hmm. it's floating and eventually it's going to float away from you. It's going to sink. And you keep on going. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. And one of the things I really want to honor that I got from the romance diet is how magical it can be to have this in your primary relationship. Someone that you can work at this level. 
with? Uh, I, I'm lucky. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it better than that. You know, we, we love each other deeply and, and always have. Um, I mean, and I say that, I don't say that lightly and I, I don't want to sound woo-woo here, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like we've known each other for lifetimes because it's kind of impossible to have the level of trust that we have. As, as for as few, you know, it's been a number now, um, years that we've been together. But, um, you know, part of that is that my husband was raised in a similar environment. You know, he comes from a similar background to me, but raised in a totally different environment. Um, he was raised by a single mom. Um, so his expectations of, of what women are are very different than a lot of men. It's right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And that, that really was wonderful. So unlike other partners that I've been with who have not wanted me to be successful or were afraid that if I was on the road with my art, I would cheat on them or were afraid that, you know, oh, I'm revealing too much of my personal life in the sculpture and he's going to be embarrassed, that, that my husband was always the one that said, nah, go, go do it, go get it, I'm, I've got your back, you know, and that was wonderful. But we, um, we had to come up against some other stuff that, that we had not been willing to accept, I had not been willing to be honest with him about forced fear that if I was truly honest with him, this wonderful man that I adore would leave me or would, you know, disrespect me or whatever. And so I suppress, like a lot of women do, a lot of feelings about small stuff, everyday stuff. And um, and when I really started out of out of sure survival, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to die unless I get to this point, to really make those those needs known, um, you know, where I was not feeling whole in my life. He did what most guys will do, what most people will do. And his re- response was black and white, you know, well, fine. If you're, if you, this is what you need, then this is the change that I'll make. And, and, and fine, good deal with your life. But this is who I am and I'm not willing to be any different. And when we hit that point, that locked me in to, uh, you know, an either or choice. And I loved him. And I chose to accept his, his black and white. Mm-hmm. And what that did to me at that time in my life was it, it, it clamped a vice around me even further so that when I cracked, and I did crack, I cracked hard, mm-hmm. it was catastrophic for both of us. Um, and we and that laid it bare. And, um, and then we had some really hard choices to make on both sides. And the choice was that sudden awareness from both of us that neither one of us had been living the way we chose to live. We've been living the way we were supposed to live, the way the society tells us we're supposed to live. And the, the gender roles and the, the you know, dis, everyday disrespects on some, you know, small stuff were eating me alive. But that, you know, and so I had to make room for me in my life. And, and he had to realize, and he did, that the, the, the masculine identity that he's worn since he became a man, you know, of he's the provider, he's the protector, he's the strong one, he makes it safe, he keeps things calm, you know, is really deadly to equality and a partnership. And he came to me and said, you know, I, I have to find a new way of being a man if I'm going to, if you're truly going to be equal here and if I'm truly going to support you in the way that you supported me. And I'm not quite sure how to do that, but I love you enough to, to recognize that that this identity that I didn't choose is a big part of the problem that we're having. And so I'm going to start kind of sorting through and saying, which pieces of this do I want to keep? And that was the process that we both went through and we're still going through right now. And saying, all right, this can build a strong foundation for me personally and for our relationship, or this one is really toxic to it, and okay, that one has to go. But we're choosing who we want to be instead of living according to societal norms that were, you know, eroding both of us um, individually and as a couple. That's really beautiful. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And, but you know, that required somebody willing to say, I believe in the love that we share. I believe in it and I'm committed to this love and I, I I married you and I meant it and I'm going to stick with you and we're going to, we're going to work this stuff out. And that requires both of us to do that. And you know, we both, this is a second marriage. We've both been through this before and for us getting married was not a light decision. It was a very, very, very big deal and it took a very long time to get there. And we've been through a lot together, um, you know, already, but um, you know, that conscious choice to, to say, I fell in love with you for a reason. That reason still exists. And here we are at a crossroads. And what part am I playing in that? Um, 
and 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 how uh, you know what can I give to you, and what do I need to give to myself to make this work? And you know that's a, I think that's a lifelong question. You know, there's going to be a kind of point when his mom dies, and that's going to put him into you know because they're really 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 close, and and that's going to really hurt him. And 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 I'm going to have to change my interaction with him during that grieving process because if I stay where I am right now. Then you know, and 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 don't adapt to where he is when he goes through that process. Then it's not going to work. He didn't at first adapt to where I was going through, and then when I when I got catastrophic, then he really recognized his part in that. And going forward, you know, every time we're coming up with a conflict, we are are fighting less and talking more and and much more willing to first empathize with each other and second to try to be really honest about what it is that we're feeling, what story we're telling ourselves and why we're upset about something. But I you know, I think I think that that relationships are either toxic or they are potentially amazing. And I don't think that there's, you know, a lot of there, you know, there's some okay, if you're making a commitment to somebody and you're going to move into a house with them, they're, they're one of the two. And you need right. to decide what's working for you. Yeah. But relationships like art are a process. They're not static. They're constantly changing. They're constantly evolving. Because hopefully as humans, each one of us is constantly changing and evolving and, and growing. And so the relationship has to be dynamic. And I think a lot of relationships get into really big trouble when they, one or both parties have believed that the, that the relationship is a fixed state and life is in flux. Yes, and then they... and. And that they don't understand, too, that being in a relationship can profoundly change you and often does and how to stay vital with that and how to stay vulnerable and how to own. I mean, what I loved hearing in what you were talking about is both of you saying, what story am I telling myself? And is it actually my story? Or is this something that culturally I think is what's important or culturally I've been told this is the story I should be feeling and is that even what I'm feeling? Right. What do I actually feel in the moment? Maybe, you know, whatever it is. You know, one, of, one of the things we used to fight about, especially when the kids were in the house, was the cleanliness of the house. I, I grew up in, in a household that has southern roots, and, you know, my house was supposed to be clean, period. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't clean, I, I certainly would be faulted by at least a relative, if not, you know, the society at large, right. and I wouldn't be a good woman if my house wasn't clean. So I was pretty frantic about trying to keep the house clean, and Steve could care less. I mean, he could absolutely care less about the state of the house, and and his kids were the same way, and my kids were the same way. So here I was with six kids and this man who could care less about the state of the house. They just wanted to play the next game, you know, and, and here I am. I just spent six hours cleaning the house, or just hired somebody to clean the house, <laughs> depending on the, on the year. <laughs> right. And you know, and, and all of a sudden, I turn around five minutes later, it looks like it just did before it was clean, and I would go completely crazy because my house was supposed to be clean, and if my house wasn't clean, I failed as a woman. Well, you know, after a number of years of living with seeds, I realized that I was either going to, to murder somebody or I had to, like, deal with this. And when I really dealt with it, I realized I need a, I need a house that's clean enough not to be dangerous. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I really don't need it to be, you know, spotless all the time. And and but it's just it's fine. I mean, it's just fine. There are certain certain places that I need to have visual space. But you know, the house can go two weeks without getting clean right now, and it's not a big deal anymore. And that was one of the things that Steve changed in me because he required me by not changing who he was to. Uh, to look at what were my motivations. And when I realized, I realized that my motivations for this had nothing to do with my personal temperament. I mean, if you go to my studio, it's as chaotic as his office is. It's not necessary in my world. It was just something I imposed upon myself according to what society expected of me or my, my particular area of society. And, um, and then it was pretty easy to let it go. And then when I do need to have clean, I just clean it. And it's not a big deal. Right. But it's such a, you know, the whole white glove thing and your neighbors come over and, you know, there's dust on here and, you know, you're whatever. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, and it's, it, and it, that is, it's funny, you know, and on the flip side, I quit cooking. I've had it, I'm done, I'll do the big holiday meals, but that's about it. I, I really have no desire to cook. 
ever again. And so Steve cooks and, and out of relation, you know, and he loves it and he loves trying new things and making new dishes for me and checking out new spices to, to make sure that what he's cooking for me is wonderful. And he'll sit there at the, at the stove every night and he'll be making dinner and he's, I love doing this for you. Okay, great. Wonderful. I don't have to cook. I claim he cooks. How you know, nice. it's a balance. Yeah. <laughs> well, and but it's about being true to us, not true to expectations. And to open up and finding out what gives people joy, because one of the exciting things about being in this world is that we all enjoy different things. Yes. And if we do the things we enjoy and do them well, and let somebody else who does the things that we don't like do them and do them to the best of their ability, there's so much more flow. Yeah. And then there's joy and there's excitement and relationships don't get static and stale. And one of the things that we noticed prior to, or I noticed prior to writing The Romance Diet, you know, and I talk about this in the book, was that we were getting pretty static. And there wasn't anything really juicy and exciting to talk about. You know, we work together, we live together, we're best friends, we're partners and everything. And what do you say at the end of the day when you share every all the details of your day and those details are mundane? Um, and, you know, so it, we started watching a whole lot more TV, and which is something we never did. And, and it kind of getting into this routine where it took the, the, the joy out of every day. And, and the way we, how we discovered countering that was to start dancing again. And now mm. we dance as often as we can. And that brings us together. And it's a purely joyous experience. And it recharges us romantically. And it's something we do together. And it makes us feel wonderful. And it's sexy. And that really brings a, a, a vitality back to our relationship that really had started to fall off. And, um, but we're, we're very conscious of that now. And conscious of how do we keep being active, engaged individuals in our lives and, and, and bring that to the relationship as well as finding things that we really love doing together so that we, and making a commitment to do that, making a commitment to play together. That's beautiful. And that required a commitment. And that was not an easy thing. It didn't just happen. It took a lot of, of fighting, honestly, and saying, you know what, this matters, and we have to do this, because if we don't, then we're just living side by side, separate lives, and, and that's, not, that's not juicy. There's no joy in that. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and to find the places, and again, it's, it's what story are you telling, you know, because it's like, okay, does this engage us? Well, let's go find something that engages us. Like, we need an us story, so what is that? Right. Right. And then, and then, but doing it too. And it's really easy, like for us to get home at the end of the day. And I'm tired. I've been on my feet and talking to customers all day. I've been staring at a computer screen all day. And we were, you know, didn't sleep well the night before. And, uh, yeah, there's a good band, but I'm tired. It's really easy to do that and, and to let it slip. And for me, it, you know, requires that constant discipline. I'm going to be tired no matter what I'm doing. So do I want to be tired staring at a TV screen? Or do I want to be tired on a dance floor with this man that I love? Uh, okay, let's, let's be really clear about the choice. When I give, when I, when I look at that story in that way and say, well, I, I, I am tired, that's true. But how do I want to be tired? Okay, well, let's, let's follow that narrative. Well, yeah, I would much rather be swinging around a dance floor with a big grin on my face than sitting <laughs> in front of the TV, you know, and, and I'm going to be tired either way. You know? <laughs> That's a great way to phrase it. It's like, okay, how do I yeah. want to be tired? This is true. This happens. And how do, you know, how do I want, you know, and through all of our life, how do we want to be, when we grieve when someone dies, how do I want to be grieving? You know, how do I want to, because we do have that choice. Yeah. And it's amazing when we look at it, because I think we forget, instead of going for the habit, instead of going for, and very often the habit is fear-based, is to say, well, what, you know, and to have that as a value, to have that engagement, that joyousness, that engagement with life be a value. You know? Right. This matters yeah, to me. Yeah, it does. And, um, but it's, it's, it, it, um, I think that most of us, myself included, will choose the easiest route, the path of less boost resistance, um, as often as we can, because it's safe, it's comfortable, we know it, and, um, 
and and so even in those little tiny choices, I'm tired. I'm going to go dancing. I'm going to watch TV. I'm, you know, um, going to make macaroni and cheese for dinner because I don't have the energy to dice up vegetables and make something healthy for myself. Um, those are all going back to that question of what are we giving to ourselves? Are we giving to ourselves what we really want or are we giving ourselves something that will allow us to maintain the status quo? In which case, we're, we're not really engaged with ourselves and we're not being really authentic and, and there's not as much joy in life. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that question. How do I? How, I am tired. How do I want to be tired? I think it's a really powerful question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think we need to start winding up. So, if there's anything okay. else you'd like to share, share, or a word of wisdom, or a vision, or anything. Um, Thank you so much for talking to us, and if you have... Oh, Anika, thank you so much for having me. This has been just wonderful. And in wrapping up, I would I would go back to, you know, what I've said at the beginning. If you want to make a change in your life, start small and stay disciplined and allow yourself to have that little bit of time doing the one thing it is that you've decided that you love and you're going to invest that time in. And trust the process. Um, you know, trust it, because it, it, will, it will take you where you need to go. And... Um, you know, and, and again, you know, choose how you want to be tired, choose how you give to yourself and those around you, and best of luck with the journey. Mm, thank you so much. We've been talking to Destiny Allison, and the most recent book is The Romance Diet. Please read it. It is wise and profound and vulnerable and inspiring.